following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And, and this, this is, is Box, Box Office, Office 30. 30. Man, I can't believe this. Another basement, another elevator. I could have seen shit happen to the same guy twice. Yippee-ki-yay, movie fans, and welcome to the July 1990 episode of Box Office 30. As usual, I'm joined by my friend, co-host, and diehard, diehard fan, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? You can refer to me as Al Powell tonight, even though he's not in the... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in our recording setup, we can name each other, and uh, Mike has chosen that name this evening. I should have come up with something clever. I'm just Pete again. (laughs) It's only because there's not enough Al Powell in this movie. That's why. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Well, in that case, I'll be Hans Gruber because there's definitely no Hans Gruber left after the last movie. That's that's very true. hundred <laughs> percent. So, uh, yeah, kicking things off here. I just wanted to, um, first of all, thank the Retro Network uh, for giving us our podcast a home. Um, we're very happy to be amongst the other great uh, content that's happening at the Retro Network. So we want to thank particularly Jason and Mickey and everyone um, who've all been so welcoming. Uh, and also a special thank you as well to Adam of uh, the Wizards podcast, among many others, for championing us um, as well in this. Yeah, no, they've been amazing. They're, you know, a great team and super supportive and a lot of fun to talk to and, and just being excited about us being excited, which is awesome, which is super cool. Exactly. So we made it. We've made it past one episode. We're here. Episode two. It? <laughs> it only took, you know, 10 15 years to get to this point so go figure <laughs> so Amazing. I, have a, I have a little funny story so um when we plan on doing this tonight i was like okay cool i was gonna like get myself all set up uh, my office where i usually do all my recordings i hadn't put an air conditioner in the room we have like you know window unit acs and i was gonna throw one in today this evening cool the room down enough that i can go up there and talk and then literally at 6.45 tonight, the air conditioner in my bedroom died. Thing oh, is, no. Literally one year old. And my eight-month-old baby sleeps in that room as well as us. And so I had to decide, okay, I guess I'm going to have to take that one out of the window and put my spare that was going to go in my office into our room so we can cool the room down to sleep in there tonight. So then I'm like, okay, where am I going to record? So I went up to my office. Currently the thermostat reads 92 degrees up there. So I was like, yeah, I can't really record up there because I will melt to death while I'm up there. And then uh, my next option was I was either going to record in my basement or in my den And I'm going back and forth where I'm going to record, how I'm going to do this. And I go down to the basement and for some reason, well, we recently gotten a, like a, a chest freezer and I go to plug in 
power to my laptop with the same outlet with the chest freezer is and i popped the breaker <laughs> so, wow you're having a day so i was like holy crow i i, I had to then okay so i had to tell my wife i'm like hey it's 10 o'clock go to bed i gotta record in our den so i can record the show <laughs> And and not the least of which we're in like the middle or towards the end, I guess, now of like a good old heat wave here in New York. So I'm sure that's uh, helping the matter even more. Yeah, it was crazy, but I thought it was pretty funny. And so when I was thinking about doing um, this episode and how we were going to do it, I am an avid diehard fan. Always have been, always will. Um big John McClane fan. And I've seen Die Hard to Die Harder, which is the movie we're going to be discussing this evening or on this episode, when depending on when you listen to it. Um, and I started thinking about it, like, how are we going to go into this thing? And what we did in the, in the Total Recall episode was uh, Pete asked me to do like, you know, stream of consciousness, how I remember this movie. And I was going to say to Pete, why don't you stream of consciousness try to spit out what you can recall from this movie and then I can tell you what I know in detail about the film. Unless you already yeah. rewatched it. <laughs> no, I have not rewatched it. I'm going in cold and I'm going to really disappoint you <laughs> when we get to the recall section um, of this one, which I know is like, it, it's very sketchy territory because when, I met Michael and over the course of getting to know Michael over the past 20 years, there's a few very solid bricks in the foundation that makes up this man that you have to be very well aware of. And one of those is Batman is a real portion of his life, but also so is Die Hard. <laughs> and so I, I think you're going to get a little peeved at me with uh, with my maybe lack of knowledge on, on some of the Die Hard movies, but uh, we'll we'll get through it. <laughs> it it's, it's quite all right because the dearth of knowledge that i have in the rest of the world in comparison to you know <laughs> what you know it it will balance each other out and it's okay. kind of fun because like um you know there there are certain things in life that that are constants and certain things that i know for sure and die hard is one of them i kind of look at myself as like the jake peralta of movie fans when it comes to die hard <laughs> <laughs> excellent all right. So uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, we're obviously playing a little bit of catch up since we uh, launched our June podcast in July. Um, so this one should be dropping mid-August or so, um, whenever you're listening to it. And episode three should fall towards the end of August. So we're hopefully going to be on a proper schedule after that point. We're aiming to um, put out new episodes on the last Friday of every month alongside Sequel Quest. Um, and you can also look for occasional bonus episodes featuring extra content from the main show, as well as some extras over time so i think that's going to be our our schedule here on out we also at some point want to do sort of a zero episode where we can go into our history a little bit so you guys can get to know us furthermore beyond just us talking about movies as well definitely so michael uh we're living in a funny time here right now where um box office for the first time ever in history um has had moments of recording no revenue um, and this is something obviously that we talk a lot on this podcast about. Um, but, you know, we've had drive in movie theaters make a sudden resurgence. Um, and I, I think the funny thing and what I wanted to kind of start us off on here tonight is that there's um, a few movies 
um, that I, you know, I would guess many haven't heard of that currently hold this year's biggest box office record. So I thought we'd take a quick look at some of that before we dive back 30 years and compare it to 1990. Sure. All right. All right. Cool. So, um, for example, April 2020, uh, the entire list of films, of which there are six, and interestingly, um, four of those are released by IFC, add up to a grand total of $52,015. Wow. (laughs) So there's a little bit of money happening out there in April. Um, You know, and again, like there's some movies that in, in March kind of came to a quick end when things got shut down, but there's some stuff that's apparently still drifting around a little bit. Um, So the top... Yeah, well, Bloodshot. Actually, I just saw that. Did you see that yet? No, I haven't seen it yet. That's a decent movie, actually. You know, I I mean, there's like one. Yeah, I'm one of these um, Vin Diesel people. You know, I like (laughs) Like, Vin Diesel also. Yeah, so so I'll check out whatever he does. But yeah, it was it was worthwhile, and particularly after we had done uh, Wizards and we're talking Bloodshot, I felt I needed to uh, to check that one out. So yeah, so I I suggest that one. But uh, the one I was thinking about that kind of got kicked in the head was um, Pixar's Onward. Oh, um, which is a great movie, but it really uh, is man, great. you know, the numbers were not good for, for what it should normally have done given the yeah. circumstance. Yeah, no, it, I mean, I, I remember when they, they were like, what do we do with this movie? And they, and they dropped it on Disney plus and we watched it that weekend and I really liked it. We watched it a couple of times straight, you know, straight through, but I, it was one of those movies that they were hoping for big things with that movie. Cause look at the cast alone. It's just like, you know. They just pulled all the Avengers and said, hey, do a Pixar movie. Here we go. Yeah, there's, I think, probably down the road going to be a big resurgence of movies that were in that area getting re-released, if I had to guess, you know, so hopefully they can kind of make up a little something on the back end. I don't know if they're ever going to be able to capture um, the sort of velocity that they normally would have had in a regular release, just because now, like you say, a bunch of people saw it as soon as it came out. Um, on Disney Plus and, you know, yourself and myself included. So it it might give it a harder time, but I hope they can kind of make a little run of it again at some point like that because it was a really great, uh, great movie. I have a friend who works for um, Focus Features and she told me that, you know, a lot of their small indies, they're just doing, you know, limited release in Europe and, and overseas where, you know, coronavirus is less of an issue at the moment and VOD in the United States. And they yeah. actually, um, because they had to cut out all the press junkets and the premieres and all of that stuff, they've <laughs> saved Saving hundreds and hundreds of thousands <laughs> of dollars on the overall budget of the film, which some of the movies are, these indies are breaking even, which is pretty funny. Yeah, well, so that's what I was going to kind of dive in here a little bit, at least on our domestic side. So um, the top movie um, for us for April um, is something called Phoenix, Oregon. Have you heard of this one? Nope, not on my radar. (laughs) Not on my radar. Uh, So this is actually a re-release title. It was originally made in 2018. It looked like it did some, um, you know, festival circuits and things like that. Uh, But it held the top spot for April with a grand total of 16846 for the month. So big, big money. (laughs) Uh, But funny enough, things changed from there. So um, so it was the highest grossing movie in the country for three weeks in a row between March and April. So this is one of these ones that just like, I think, sheer timing and luck and fortitude of sticking it out in in whatever little indie um, run that they had kind of gave it this unique top spot, even at that, you know, relatively low um, cash amount. But uh, (laughs) it's pretty funny. Um, so this one, uh, I looked it up. It's about two guys buying a, lap, a dilapidated bowling alley 
and serving what is, in their estimation, the world's greatest pizza. So this reminded me of um, you and me and our sort of late in life backup plan to do the same with a comic book shop. So uh, what do you think about mixing the comic shop with maybe some pizza takeout? Well, I've actually wanted to do a comic book shop slash coffee house. So it would, okay. it would either way would work for me. Yeah, I mean, I think with the vowels at the end of our names, we would need to um, to, to add some pizza or some Italian in there. <laughs> so we could do coffee shop, comic shop, pizza shop. Excellent. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm, d- I'm down. Sign me up. All right. So moving on, um, in May, we get the release of a horror film called The Wretched. Does that one do anything for you? Nope. Nothing. Okay. okay. So that, that claims the top spot for the month with, uh, this one's a little bit of a better number, 835397 in ticket sales in 101 theaters. In the U.S. Um, or globally? That's, I think, just U.S. I think I'm mostly okay. talking U.S. for these numbers. Uh, so next closest on the list drops down to 68,988. Now of note here in May, there are 12 movies on the list. And of those 12, IFC again released six of those. Okay. IFC is going to become a little pin in this year. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for June, Becky takes the top spot with a similar number of 853,669. Um, and the list expands this month, uh, to, to about like 20 places. Uh, with a number of big name movies um, popping in as re-releases. So um, uh, again, presumably many of these are at drive-ins um, rather than indie theaters, but uh, it's starting to feature titles such as Jurassic Park and Jaws. Um, and there are still five IFC movies in the list in June. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I went and looked into this a little bit and I found out that IFC, um, in lieu of many indie theaters being slammed by the Corona shutdown, created what they called the Indie Theater Revival Project. Um, so basically, they ended up releasing, I think, over 150, I kind of, you see different numbers in different spots, 150, 200 um, of IFC's films throughout the last 20 or so years that they've um, you know, produced uh, or distributed uh, to small theaters completely rental-free. So the fact that they'd normally be renting these to these theaters for some kind of rental fee, they've completely wiped out um, this rental fee. So Ultimately, I think this is where we're seeing um, some of these numbers come from, at least um, from IFC. But there's certainly a bunch of other kind of indie um, promoters out there that some of these movies are topping this list for. So it seems like that might be kind of where we're getting our box office kick from in these past couple of months. It's sort of these indie theaters in spots around the country that have opened up a little bit um, here and there or maybe even some in um, drive in sort of situations. Mm-hmm. So have you seen kind of any of that like in, in your neck of the woods at all? Uh, well, there have been a lot of places, even like restaurants that are doing drive-in movie nights and they're showing, you know, Indiana Jones or E.T. or Jaws, which are all, you know, Spielberg-esque films. But hey, you know, whatever. But um, <laughs> but yes, uh, I've noticed a, a bit of a resurgence in, in a lot of places that are doing um, drive-in movie theaters and, you know, they're promoting in- indie films or smaller films that they can get, you know the film stock for and run it, you know, digitally or whatever it might be. Uh, it's, it's popping up a little bit on Long Island. Not that clo- uh, the f- closer you get to the city, the more you see it like in, you know, Western Nassau and stuff like that. I've noticed it more. Yeah. What's interesting here in the city. Cause again, I, I sort of started looking into this a little bit when IFC kind of kept coming up in the list there is the IFC center here in the city has been closed. So even though they're releasing this to the other in- indie theaters, they have not been, doing it here so it's definitely been like 
completely shut down around here. Yeah. But I've been hearing some rumblings from people I know out in, in Jersey and things like that where some drive-ins are popping up. And it kind of makes me uh, wish that we could do that. Uh, my my wife and I were, we were driving and talking about it one day, and we were thinking that we might actually move to New Jersey eventually. So I was like, oh, we should start a, a pop-up theater out there somewhere. And then like I think a day or two later, I heard that in the area we were thinking of, one popped up. So <laughs> beat me to it again. <laughs> there's um, There's actually one town over from me. There's an old dilapidated movie theater that's been closed for 10 years. And it's had a sign on it that says, see you in 2017 for like the last five years. But <laughs> I on guess the, not. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. Right. And I've always wanted to buy it if I, you know, had the ability to do so and make it into a, like a like an Alamo draft house kind of a place. There you go. But the other day I was driving by and their back built the back of the building has this giant white wall of like concrete bricks, but it's all painted white. It's got to be 50 feet high by like 70 feet wide. It's a huge, huge structure. And there's got to be 100 parking spaces behind it. And I'm like, why doesn't the town just make this into a drive-in screen and just put a projector on it and blast? That's not a bad idea. No, that's seriously like, a good idea. I was like, oh, man, that'd be amazing. But, you know. <laughs> so interesting thing, obviously, that came up uh, in looking up all this IFC stuff is that naturally this stirred up a little bit of controversy. So, you know, many people are still um, considering that theaters, you know, should be non-essential. They're indoor spaces. Therefore, they should be closed. Um, so the funny thing I ran into, at least on on like one IndieWire um, article that I was reading, and it turns out that this was a little bit broader at the time and I kind of missed it. Um, there were some kind of big personalities um, complaining about some of these reopenings or, or the IFC um, interest in, in, you know, keeping some of these little theaters afloat. And I, I, one of the people that was involved in that was Spike Lee. Um, so uh, he mm -hmm. apparently uh, talked with Vanity Fair and I, I grabbed a little quote from him here that they had showing in it, which I just thought was funny that he had emailed them. So it goes along the lines of open movie theaters now, hell to the naw. I got a lot more movies to make, not rolling the dice with that. Only life I got testing, testing and mo testing. So mm. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny that, uh, that Spike was, uh, uh, taking a, a hard stance on on that, at least in in Georgia, I guess, is when they were really opening the soonest back in April again. Yeah. Um, the other one that they were mentioning in this uh, is um, Veep creator and uh, director of The Death of Stalin, which um, IFC distributed and was going to include in this program, um, Armando Iannucci. Um, he kind of came after IFC on social media as well. He said, um, I'd like to make it clear I don't approve of any of my films being shown in the U.S. movie theaters before it's clear the virus has been overcome. So I don't approve of the death of Stalin being shown in U.S. movie theaters as early as May 29th. That's simply too early. Um, so, you know, again, it looks like IFC pressed ahead. Um, you know, I, I think um, I didn't see death of Stalin pop up anywhere in, in the numbers I was looking at. So maybe they hold that in lieu of his feelings on that. Um, but again, you know, they, they seem to have run with it because, again, uh, the top movie so far in July is an IFC movie, um, Relic. And they also have six other movies that are still in the list, which has jumped up this month to 33 titles. And again, many of those are re-releases. So it includes some stuff like Empire Strikes Back, Ghostbusters and Black Panther um, among the top spots as more theaters have um, started to reopen in various states and also as more drive-ins have popped up. So, uh, I don't know, it seems like the uh, the big studios got wise, wanted to get a little of their uh, older properties, making them some moolah again. 
So here's a fun fact also. You know, it, I don't know how well you are familiar with how the Oscars are, are structured, but normally for a film to be considered for an Oscar, it has to play in a theater for at least two weeks. Because of the pandemic, they've reneged that rule for this year. So a film can be screened any place, anywhere, or straight to streaming without issue and will be considered for the Oscars if it's good enough. Yeah, it's interesting what this time has brought along with it, because I can remember last year, you know, people still railing avidly against stuff that was put on Netflix Mm -hmm. um, or things like that, you know, because they're like, according to them, it wasn't a true theatrical release. You know, I think Spielberg came after... um, what was Scorsese's last one? I'm blanking on the name. Irishman. Yeah, Irishman. Thank you. Yes, that, that you know, even Spielberg, who's friends with Scorsese, came after that in a big, bad way, calling it a home video, you know, and I'm like, oh, those are fighting words, you know? Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting that, you know, at least now with the situation that we're in, that they're throwing some of those rules out. So maybe it'll shake things up a little bit. Maybe they'll keep that a little more open um, going forward. It's kind of hard to let the... Uh, cat out of the bag and then get it back in again you know <laughs> yeah seriously 100 so you know uh, end of the day i think this is tough right because like on one hand you have these small indie theaters which are really really hurting um you, you know you're talking about an industry you know and i you have talked about it before where top chains like amc are severely hurting wavering around bankruptcy um so you know you want to see them survive and you know in a way ifc is doing right by them to provide these films rent free Um, But, you know, obviously a lot of others um, argue that it's too soon. Um, So, again, you know, I'd say, I guess, regardless of where you fall in the argument, you know, you ultimately end up with some films (laughs) that take these top spots over these past months that would really normally be at the very bottom of our list, you know, below notice for for most, um, which is something that's really uniquely historical to this moment. So, um, you know, funny enough, I think some of these filmmakers for some of these more indie films are now going to be able to go back and claim that their movies were the top box office films for the summer of 2020 yeah it's it's kind of interesting like the big debate right now is you know when and whether or not they release tenant right because everyone has said oh this is going to be the film that's going to bring movies back and you know it's going to save hollywood etc 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 and they keep delaying it and delaying it and now they're planning on doing a European release first and then, you know, somewhere down the line, do a U.S. release. I just... Yeah. And and the problem is, like, I guess in Christopher Nolan's contract, he the movie can't be released directly to HBO Max, but I look at it like this. That movie is, in, is intended to be, you know, this massive event, right? Totally. If they were to dump that thing onto HBO Max, it would get so many subscribers to that service that it would probably pay for the film tenfold. I think. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I mean, it's. I'm curious to see how things are going to go forward from here. And again, you know, we're approaching the school year, which I think is going to set the bar for how a lot of other things either open or stay closed. But, you know, I know I see a lot of movies um, especially late August right now that are still scheduled for release and kind of bigger name stuff. So we'll see, <laughs> you know, we'll, only time will tell, but we'll see what, uh, what the immediate future here brings as far as getting some of this stuff back on track and opened up again. Yeah. I mean, who knows if we're going to see black widow this year, who knows if we're going to see wonder woman. I mean, there's a lot of movies that 
you know, we're meant to be this major event movie this year. <laughs> and now they're like, oh, I don't know. Hmm, who knows? It's interesting. And don't forget Bill and Ted. <laughs> oh, Bill and Ted. Well, well, actually, Bill and Ted is going to do a simultaneous release. They're doing I saw that. some theaters and, and also VOD. And I will be buying that VOD. I've never bought a VOD <laughs> in my life, but I'll buy that one. Excellent. So uh, talking time travel, that's probably a good jumping off point. So let's take a trip back through time 30 years for this month's Box Office 30. So we're going to be diving into Die Hard 2, Die Harder, starring Bruce Willis as the titular John McClane, and the lack of Reginald L. Johnson as only a cameo as Al Powell, which is kind of a bummer, directed by Rennie Harlan. And uh, Rennie Harlan has a very different style than John McTiernan, who did Die Hard 1. Now, this movie in July brought in a total of it looks like eighty eight million two hundred and forty three thousand six hundred and seventy dollars that month. Wow, that's a lot of money. Yeah, no, it did pretty good. Um and from there, you know, it goes on to make $117,540 uh domestically and uh two hundred forty million worldwide uh in its initial release. It had a um later re-release, I think in nineteen ninety three by the looks of it. Um, so this is 21 million less than last month's hit total recall. Uh, and it equates out to about 473 million, 445 in 2020 money. Um, and it opened up in 2,507 theaters and had a production budget of about 70 million. It also has a little bit more competition in July than, than total recall did when it premiered in the beginning of June. There was a lot of big movies that came out either the end of June or early July, like Days of Thunder, Ghost, Dick Tracy, Arachnophobia, Another 48 Hours, which is came out earlier June, but it's still holding strong in the top 10, which is pretty amazing. Uh, they're still competing with RoboCop 2, and Pretty Woman is in number 13. Pretty amazing. I, I, I'm shocked, which came out in March. Unbelievable. Yeah, it has staying power. <laughs> and it really is, for sure. Um, yeah, um, and again, you know, like, I even see in here they have a uh, 1990 re-release of The Jungle Book. You know, like, you stick a kid's movie in the theater, it's going to do some earnings, so that did $27 million. Yeah. I guess Disney didn't have anything that year to release in the summer. <laughs> so, like, hey, we'll bring back The <laughs> yeah, Jungle Book. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, I like also they've got um, Jetsons, the movie, in here, so I guess we got a couple uh, cartoon <laughs> movies for the kids here in this month. Yeah, the I I vaguely remember the Jetsons movie, and I feel like it didn't it didn't like capture the imagination of the cartoon show originally from you know. But interesting, I kind of want to find it now. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> funny timing, and I don't remember enough of the Jetsons history. I know enough that like when I was a kid and when you were a kid, like they would have had that like you know running in reruns. I don't think they were necessarily making anything new around that time. So maybe it's a little bit out of place. But I also know that there's like other things that start coming up around somewhere around this time, like the Flintstones live action movie mm -hmm. and things like that. So uh, yeah, maybe there was like a little bit of a resurgence at that moment in some of those like older cartoons kind of making a, uh, a go of it again. 
So a couple other funny ones that I noticed um, kind of going down this list uh, all the way down to number 20 was um, a movie that I came to know later. And I think I saw the second one probably before I saw the first one was Problem Child. Uh, were you a fan of those movies as a kid? Um, yes and no. Like, I was a big John Ritter fan, but I, I think I, I, I think I too saw the second one before I saw the first one. and where he's competing against the younger girl who's the problem yeah. child. Um, I tend to like that one a little bit better than Me the too. first one, especially the birthday party scene. I, I find that scene very hilarious. The first one, I didn't love it until I, you know, it was okay. It wasn't amazing that I was shocked that they got a sequel out of it, but you know, yeah, I mean, I think they're both like over the top movies, but the second one is like really over the top. But yeah. it's got like just really bizarre stuff like uh, the thing where his dog gets like frozen on the front lawn and then like mm -hmm. he eats some like weird food. And like, I don't know, it's it, it's he it does that like gigantic pile of poop. And it's like, it, it, what a weird movie. But yeah, something about that, I think, appealed to the, like the probably preteen version of me that was like oh this stuff is so over the top and gross and weird mm -hmm. and it was like you know perfect for like i think a kid at, at my age at that time and again it's another one where i don't remember where and when i saw it but i think i went back a while afterwards to, you know probably to the rental store and grabbed problem child and as you're saying wasn't as impressed with it as uh as the second one but uh yeah that one just kind of cracked me up that i saw it as i was coming down the list here today <laughs> So, yeah, again, another funny one, and it's probably just worth pointing out because we'll be um, doubling back on it um, next month is going to be Ghost Takes the Number Three Spot. That opens on July 13th, and Ghost goes on to be the number one biggest box office hit of all of 1990, um, which I was actually a little more, surprised by because we have some other big, big movies that come um, throughout the rest woman, of that year. Really? More than Pretty Woman, more than, and again, it, you, could, you could have a hard time arguing this because it's at the end of the year, but more than home alone um yeah so again yeah so the ghost goes on to um for the whole year um and for its full initial run a mass out at 217 631 so again we'll we'll come back to that next month when we dive in on that one but uh yeah that that has some big big staying power like pretty woman once it kind of hits and, and really picks up and runs here so, and also um what i'm noticing in this list is it's nearly a thousand less theaters then Die Hard 2. Yeah, and it also starts a, a week later. So, you know, Die Hard um, did its thing and it hung on there for the month. It, it got the gross that it pulled in. Um, you know, uh, Ghost showed up about 30 million short of that, but obviously it goes on over the course of time to uh, to to do big stuff. Yeah. Hmm. That'll be interesting to talk about. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, I mean, there's some other funny titles in here. Like I remember very vividly, like somebody like, I don't know if it was my mom buying it for my dad, um, but Navy SEALs on VHS. So mm -hmm. I remember that one from my childhood. Uh, Arachnophobia cracks me up because that's one um, that to date, I'm still not sure I've seen the entire thing. You know, like I had a cousin that was. I don't know if I've ever seen it all the way through either. <laughs> I've, I, I, I can visualize bits and pieces of it, but I can't say that I've seen the whole movie all the way through. It's funny. I remember that one as being one that kids talked about seeing in the theater. I think I was too much of a scaredy cat to go yeah, see it. Too. And I think probably in the grand scheme of things, it's probably not one of these ones that's like that scary overall, you know. Um, but uh, for some reason, I think I missed that at that point. And I think I saw chunks of it randomly throughout time. Never the full thing 
Um, but I know that it's also to be like a little bit silly, I think, right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. It's a little it bit has like John Candy or somebody in it, isn't it? No, isn't John Goodman. Main? John Goodman. John Goodman, excuse me. Yeah. Exterminator. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it's uh it, you know, uh, it's probably one that now that I'm looking at it, I really should probably go make an effort to go back and see that one at some point because I, I definitely seem to have uh missed that in its in its prime run here. So the funny thing that I've noticed is on this list, in comparison to last month's list, I pretty much recognize almost all of these movies except for three. Um, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane. I never heard of that movie or remember that movie. Um, the This Monsignor Hire. Never heard of that one. And Chicago Joe and the Showgirl. Every other movie <laughs> on this top 25, I recognize. And I'm actually surprised. So I see two movies that I didn't realize came out in 90. I thought they were earlier than that. The Freshman and Bird on a Wire, I thought were earlier than this, but I guess they came out in 90. I'm surprised by that. Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to um, just this weirdly prolific time for a lot of these odd titles to be popping up. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, like even as we talked last time, you know, Adventures of Milo and Otis has a little bit of staying power here. It's kind of the it's dropped down, but it's now the 23rd out of 25th on this list. And as you say, the last two, which I also um, do not know at all, um, Monsignor Hire uh, brings in one point three million and Chicago Joe and the Showgirl brings in um, 18 to 30. So, again, you know, maybe um, at some point, if we can get it going, we'll we'll take a look and see if we can find Chicago Joe and the Showgirl. <laughs> see if we can't dig that one up and and you know do that a little justice. See if it's worthwhile looking up. Which again, it, it probably isn't. But um, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's a few others in here that I don't think I exactly recognize. Um, like Quick Change, I'm not necessarily sure I know that one. And there's a few others, but uh, Quick Change, no, I, rec- right. I recognize the name, but I forget who's in it. Yeah, I think yeah, it's Chevy Chase. Fuzzy. Oh, you think it's a Chevy Chase one? Yeah, that could be. Oh, no. Oh, no. Quick Change is a good movie. Quick Change is really good. It's When I tell you the cast, you'll remember this. It's Bill Murray, Gina Davis, and Randy Quaid. Remember, they'd like rob a bank and they that just... That does like, ring some bells. Yes, like, you're right. Yes, it's a very good movie. I really like that movie a lot. That's funny. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> All right, so that's going to wrap up our Box Office 30 segment for this week. So instead, let's seek out our top movie this week and try to regain Total Recall. All right. So, Pete, from your memory or what you what you can piece together of this movie give me the synopsis that you think this movie is about <laughs> all right so synopsis is probably about all i'm going to be able to do with this so i'm definitely a fan of the original Die Hard, and you know it's one of these funny things where it's not that i have anything against the other Die Hard movies they just somehow never entered my lexicon as strongly as some other stuff for some reason not really sure why um, and again, maybe it goes back to what we were talking about last time that, again, like these are hard R movies and unless they were showing them, you know, on on WB or something, it might have escaped my attention for a little bit longer than 
um, some other stuff. But my recollection of Die Hard 2, Die Harder, um, is something to do with airplanes in an airport. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, again, you know, I, I remember John McClane, detective, seemingly um, always in the um, wrong place at the right time. Um, and somehow he's the only guy for the job, you know, in these sort of like terrorist situations where some places on lockdown. So I'm going to again, assume that, that this airplane airport, um, was on lockdown via some kind of terroristic activity. Um, and he's the only guy, you know, he's, he through some fortune or fate is at this location, either at an airport on an airplane. And, and he's the guy that's going to have to, um, fix it from the inside am i am i warm <laughs> you're you're about in the ballpark know, i'd say you're you know in, in the ticket booth on, on the ballpark close close to getting in okay yeah again it's like i remember that one uh or excuse me i mean i remember the first movie i remember with a vengeance a little bit better i have fond memories of a vengeance and a, a few years down the road if if that somehow pops into our list. We can talk about it again then, but oh, I, sure hope um, so. I remember seeing that one with a friend and his parents at the time. And I remember very fondly with that one. Um, I, I, the puzzles in that really appealed to me. Um, and I actually remember solving the water puzzle before John McClane did. And like <laughs> my friend and his parents, like both like turned their heads and looked at me like, what the heck? Like, how did you figure that out? <laughs> and uh, so that one was like a real um, sticking point for me. So I, I definitely remember that one a little bit more. I remember um, Good Day to Die Hard. That's the fourth one, um, right? Uh, Am I off on no, that, that one? that's 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 live that's later. F- let's live free or die hard. Which the one with um, Kevin Smith in it as the hacker? That's that one. That's the fourth. Okay, one. so so maybe that's why I remember that one a little bit better. So a probably it's a little bit newer, a little fresher in my deteriorating that's that's brain uh, cells. Uh, and then it has Kevin Smith, and you know I'm like Kevin Smith's fanboy. So yeah, Kevin Smith and, say, and and Justin Long are in that movie, as well as um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead plays Lucy McLean. And then the fifth movie is uh, a good day to die hard, and that is when McLean goes to Russia to find his son, John McClane Jr., played by Jay Courtney, who ends up being a undercover CIA agent in the Russian mob. And it's not, not, so now I have to talk about that movie. It's very, very disappointing. <laughs> we like, we like to forget that, that one. Yeah. That's the, uh, the bastard child of the family. <laughs> and, and bef- before Disney bought 20th Century Fox, which owned the Die Hard franchise, they were planning to do a th- sixth Die Hard which was going to be called Die Hard Year One, which you you will see Bruce Willis in pieces of the movie, but it flashes back to his first year on the police force and some sort of incident that happens that makes him who he becomes over time and how he meets, gotcha. you know, Holly Gennaro and et cetera, et cetera. But it never came to fruition because Disney bought 20th Century Fox, and they're not a big fan of hard R, you know, violent films like that. Well, never say never. You know, we'll we'll see what what comes down the pipe here. You know, Bruce Willis has still got some star power, so I imagine if he approached them, he might be able to get some version of that made, even if they strip it down to a, a PG thirteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you know, Disney's started to open up a little bit more about some R movies, so I don't know. Who who knows? We'll see. It'll probably still fly under the. Uh, 20th uh, century studios um flagship so maybe they'll 
channel some things like that in there if they you know feel like they could uh you know mm-hmm. bring in something on it um so before you-, you dive in on your um big uh owning me with your diehard knowledge <laughs> I-, I wanted to talk about another um diehard movie um just speaking of bruce willis and, and mary elizabeth winstead and i want to talk a little bit about diehard birthright Oh, yes. So, <laughs> Do you want to explain to the uh, listening audience a little bit about Die Hard Birthright? Sure, yeah. So funny enough, when Adam and I, Adam who hosts Wizards with me, uh, he has another podcast called Sequel Quest. And I was listening to that show for a while and I messaged him on Twitter, I believe, said, hey, you know, have you guys ever thought about doing a Die Hard movie? And he said, sure. And so he invited me on. We did we did a Die Hard uh, episode, and I pitched the idea of a sixth Die Hard called Die Hard Birthright, in which um, Bruce Willis were to die in the beginning of the movie, and uh, Lucy McLean be- had become an NYPD police officer, and she's hunting down his killer, and who's also you know terrorizing New York City. And it turns out that the person who's doing this is the same uh, person from the first Die Hard. Um, uh, What's his name? His name is um, he's the hacker in on Hans Gruber's crew. I'm drawing a blank off the moment, but he's the only person that John McClane has never killed in all the movies. And he was in prison for 30 years, got released, and he goes to seek revenge on McLean. And uh, this is the story of her trying to capture him. And we bring back Reginald Vell Johnson as kind of like a mentor character. And her son, his son, who's Al Jr., would be played by Donald Glover. And it's kind of like Donald Glover and... Uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead on the adventure to catch the bad guy. That's the story. <laughs> yeah. And I remember uh, that was, you did a pretty nice job with it at the time. I remember you had sent me, um, I don't think it was a full script, but you had sent me like a pretty detailed yeah, it was outline. Like, like, like a treatment. Like yeah. It was like a yeah. seven page outline. It was so crazy. I was like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I remember I made a, a poster for you, which we can post in our, in our socials, which we have now. We'll come back to those later. Yes, we do. Um, but uh, we we done the poster and everything, and it's like, yeah, it was a, it was a really fun concept. So I was like, you know, that was a really fun um, way to pitch that. And that's you know, it always goes back, like I say, and, and we have a uh, a few links in in your and my chain that that you know kind of eventually um, tie us back to Die Hard. And so that's why I thought it was fun that we'd be able to take a look at Die Hard uh, two this month. And again, not the least of which was die hard birth rate but also as you say we we have a link you and i via uh, reginald val johnson do you remember what i'm talking about through family matters or um <laughs> so uh, again yeah and this is totally random so i don't blame you on on forgetting this but um years ago um mike and i like to joke that we're two sides of the same coin yes, um many we times. have uh, completely um exactly opposite birthdays in the year like exactly to the day six months from each other and there's like weird little coincidences like that in our life and so uh there was one day and you'll you'll tell me if you remember this at all when i start saying it that um i woke up this one morning and i had this like really vivid dream that for some reason reginald vell johnson was in (laughs) and you and i started texting and like completely unprovoked i wasn't going to mention it at all you start talking to me that like that same night you were like watching like a Reginald Val Johnson movie or something like that. 
um, maybe even Die Hard or something. And I, so I like brought it up to you. So I thought it was like a really weird coincidence that that kind of I feel like in my head has linked Reginald Val Johnson in a in a heartfelt way <laughs> between oh, no, you and me. <laughs> he is definitely a a a kindred spirit for the two of us in many ways. And <laughs> and he you know he's like my spirit animal sometimes, especially when it comes to these movies. And uh, no, I, I honestly felt that like they really blew it when it came to underutilizing him in this movie, Die Hard with a Vengeance, and so on and so forth. Like he is in in the first Die Hard film, he's very much the heart. He's like the Alfred to Batman's, you know, Batman, you know, and um. To not have him there doesn't keep McLean grounded. And I think that was a big disservice for all the films going forward after the first one. Yeah, I guess it just gets tricky to start explaining why he, especially given what his job is, would be randomly always in the same spot as John McLean whenever these things go down. I mean, you you would imagine maybe even in the newer movies, he could just like place a phone call to him right, or just something like that. Ask a little, say, hey, little friendly advice. <laughs> you know, I know you're, I know you're the chief of police now, but I need to help buddy. <laughs> Whatever it is, just show his progression is promoted over time. That would be cool. <laughs> All right. So for my sake and, and for our listeners sake, why don't you um, then with your much more extended knowledge, run us quickly through um, die hard to die harder. Okay, I will try to go quickly because this is a long explanation. So, <laughs> so John McClane is always the type of guy who's, like you said, in the wrong place at the right time. And Die Hard 2 takes place in Dulles International Airport, just outside of Washington, D.C., on Christmas Eve. And even though it comes out in July, for some reason, most of these movies always take place on Christmas. So he's going to the airport to pick up his wife, who was flying in later than he did with the kids. So he flew in with his children and he's staying with his in-laws in Washington, D.C. And she's flying in on Christmas Eve because she was kept late for meetings or holiday party or whatever it might have been. They never really established that. They also never established why her parents live in D.C., but they met in New York City and they live in L.A. It's very confusing. They just kind of like it's a one-off sentence hey this is my what my in-laws car or whatever at the airport and so anyway he's at the airport waiting to pick her up and he's sitting in like this lounge area and he sees these like militant guys going into the uh luggage terminal how he would even know that's the luggage terminal never really gets established it kind of just showcases hey he's there great cool and he follows them in and he can convinces a janitor to open the door to follow these guys in who are tampering with the luggage rack. Why? We don't know. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't even explain why. But he gets into a kind of a, a fight with them and he kills one of them. We also find out that there's like this military organization led by a guy who, when we first see him established in the film, he is fully naked doing tai chi in his apartment or hotel room or something <laughs> and he's watching a television broadcast of a, a a cartel guy or some like you know corrupt general from colombia or somewhere in south america i think it's colombia and 
you kind of assume that this guy is looking to either kill this general or something, but he's some sort of paramilitary militia. And throughout the whole process, what they do is they they don't necessarily take hostage of the entire airport because you see that there's hundreds of thousands of people there. But what they do is they take hostage of the runways and the planes that are flying above. They they tap into the air traffic control tower and are rerouting planes and cutting down their uh, runway lights and stuff like that. And they even threaten to crash a plane, which they ultimately do. McLean tries to save it, but he, he fails. Um, and then they're trying to like override the system to get contact with the airplanes. And for various reasons, they can't. And then, you know, his wife's plane's almost out of fuel. And he throws himself into the situation. He says, hey, you know, my wife's up in that plane. You got to put me in. He makes this like cheesy football reference where like, you know, they talk about him being a Monday morning quarterback. And he's like, my wife's on one of those planes. I'm on the playing field. And I'm just like, that's cheesy, whatever, (laughs) but it's fine. Um, It's McLean. There's a lot of really cool. I was going to say, he's really known for his uh, little one-liners, obviously. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But ultimately he, this, this, the whole reason why this paramilitary organization is there is because they're trying to hijack the plane that's landing this, this corrupt general and extradite, extradite him to some like, you know, paradise Island of some sort. And they get him and then they convince the airport and the, and the government to give him, give them a 747 that they can leave and flee the country so that they can let the rest of the like 15 planes that are hanging in the air from crashing on the, you know, they make the joke that they're going to crash them into into the Potomac and uh, McLean blows up the plane and wins and saves everybody. And, and what he does is he takes the fuel from the plane and he lights it all on fire and he, calls it the landing light and it allows all the planes to land on the same runway and that's your story nice. there you go all right <laughs> very good sir yeah i'm actually really looking forward to um re-watching this for one for our review section um because again it, it's just so fuzzy in my head and i'm sure that i've seen it um but so much of what you said just uh some of it rings some bells like and like i can kind of like picture that last ending point with the, the runway on fire and things like that. But uh, it's funny, you know, I, it's, as I'm thinking about this, there was a lot of 90s movies that really involved like hijacking planes and um, being on planes that were hijacked. You know, like one of my all time favorites that comes to mind is Air Force One. Um, I thought you were going to say Passenger which, 57, but OK, fine. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, there's also just airplane, but that's yes. a whole different thing. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, like uh, it, it's really funny that that this is kind of where um this one went um which is a little bit different than than i was thinking um one thing i did notice when i um looked this up and i was curious if if you knew this or not um did you know this was partially based on a book well die hard is based on a book yeah well so is die hard 2 um different book different author yeah um and i I knew that 
it, it's um i forget what it is but go on you you tell me but i Vaguely no, that yeah. So I just thought it was interesting because, like, I kind of you know, again, I, I didn't want to like cheat and I didn't want to look too much up, but I was curious just a little bit about um, the movie and some of the people that were working on it. So that's how I actually ended up finding this information. But it's based on a book uh, that's called Fifty Eight Minutes by the author Walter Wagger or Wager. I'm not necessarily sure exactly the pronunciation of his name, mm-hmm. but again, you know, I'm I'm kind of to understand that it shares um, kind of a major portion of the plot with Die Hard too, in so much as that. Um, I think the guy is a NYPD cop and he also mm-hmm. has to deal with like helping planes and he only has like 58 minutes to do it. So does that kind of sound like, does he yeah. have like a time limit in Die Hard? Uh, not necessarily. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess the, the fuel's running out. So there's the, some, the, at least some the, kind of ticking clock. <laughs> the, the time limit is more or less based on the planes running out of fuel. And the fun fact that I forgot to mention is, so in the first Die Hard, he's a cop in New York. But he establishes in this film that he's now transferred to Los Angeles, and um, and he's an, he's now an, a, a detective in in L.A. and uh, it's just kind of funny that he jumps that because because he, he, they're basically saying that okay at the end of Die Hard he and his wife rekindled he moves to Los Angeles and becomes a cop there so that's interesting but I didn't know this I, I'm looking this up because. Um, Die Hard is based on a book, a Robert, uh, a Roderick Thorpe book called Nothing Lasts Forever. And it was originally going to be starring. Do you know who's supposed to star in the original Die Hard? I don't. You'll never believe it. Frank Sinatra. Interesting. Okay, so yeah. that's an older book then. Yeah, it's a it's a really old book i forget what year it's like from the i mean i can see that you know that fits like the oceans 11 type of movie that that you know him and dean martin and them were doing back in the day so actually i could kind of you know see them doing that movie yeah and then it just it went to like production you know turmoil it never got made um sinatra aged out of the role and then they rewrote it and Bruce Willis was not the first choice for this movie. They wanted, you know, somebody like a Stallone or, you know, Chuck Norris or something, you know, an action hero to play John McClane. Right, and- because correct me if I'm wrong, but he was doing Moonlight. Moonlighting before yes. Die Hard, right? And then, like, that was a comedy role, and he just, that this was his first action role, right? Yeah, this was his first action role. This was his first big blockbuster budget movie. and he basically auditioned and John McTiernan liked him and said, this is the guy. And they're like the moonlighting guy. Like what? He's a, (laughs) he's a comedian. And you know, it's the same kind of story as, you know, Michael Keaton getting Batman. I was just about to say, I was like, you have another mutual link there. And so much as Michael Keaton with Batman coming off of like Mr. Mom and some of his um, kind of sillier stuff, dream team and those kind of things. So you've you've got a type is what you're telling me. I do. I do have a type. Yes. <laughs> you like the action stars that start off as um, comedian esque roles that that people don't have faith in until they get their one chance and then they become big stars. Yes, that's interesting. True. That is very okay. true. Look at that. <laughs> We're, but this is also a therapy session now. Now that I've learned. <laughs> Excellent. So um, let me put a pause on this really quick. Do you have any other points that you wanted to hit on? Otherwise, I thought I'd have a, a game for us. So one of the funny things about this movie is 
a lot of the visual effects are a little bit cheesier than the original Die Hard movie. And when you rewatch them, there's like two or three that you're just going to look at like, wow, that's pretty bad. Like it's it, for, <laughs> for a big budget movie. This is pretty bad. But fun fact about this movie, it has the most talked about and joked about redubbing for television of any movie ever made. Oh, so that goes back to what we were talking about last week. It's a yeah, I wish there was like a resource. And maybe there is. Maybe I need to just look it up and, and see. But I wish there was a resource to go back and find these horribly dubbed versions of movies. Because you know, for me, I think sometimes that was part of the fun. You know, even like when we were talking about with Total Recall, like sometimes the overdubs are just so awful it makes it like funnier and it becomes like a fun thing to like poke fun at with your friends and things mm-hmm. like that. Like I, I yeah, I wish there was some spot to find some of those. So in the movie, and I'll I'll tell you because we're not going to watch the dubbed version. Obviously, we're going to watch the you know regular version. But I don't know. I might try and find the dubbed <laughs> version <laughs> if you can. You'll have a good laugh. But uh, so you know, John McClane's signature line is "Yippee ki yay, mother effer," and <laughs> um, and so the 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 general. They call him like his call name or whatever is the Falcon. And so when McLean blows up the jet that they're on, he goes, yippee ki Mr. Falcon. Nice. <laughs> That's fabulous. <laughs> it's what, and, and when you hear the voice, it's so funny. You could probably YouTube it and just watch that. You're just like, this is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. You know, I, I don't know what the kind of thing was back then for getting the stars of the movie to come in and essentially do like the radio edit. You know what I mean? It's like the, never the clean edit version. Um, and that's something I'm not even really sure in, in future time if people have done. But uh, it, it is funny how they get some of these people. And sometimes they sound likewise enough that you can miss it. But sometimes mm-hmm. they're just so bad. I think I know what you're talking about, even from when I've seen the dubbed version of the original Die Hard, when they would, you know, bleep the same line there, um, if they're not just going with, you know, the the honest to goodness beep, but if they're going to like redub it with somebody's voice, sometimes it's just it just jumps, it loses all the rest of the volume of what's going on in the scene, and it just has like some weird wacky thing that comes in. But I, you know, the Yippee Kaye being so iconic to this character and this franchise, and um, changing it like that. Remind me, isn't one of the the later on movies, didn't they just not do the MFR? Like, didn't they just completely change it in one of them for a lower rating or something? So in the in the one you were talking about before, the Kevin Smith one with, with Justin Long, at the end of the movie, when he's facing off against, I think it's Timothy Oliphant is the villain, he he puts a gun against his shoulder blade and pulls the trigger and he says yippee kaye mother and then he pulls the trigger and the gunshot overshadows the curse wah, wah. <laughs> but in the in the director's cut they actually have him say it then he pulls the trigger interesting they they uh, I wonder they what the wa- choice was behind that. It must have really just been for rating. Do you know what that one was rated? Did they it was rate ra- it lower it, than ours? In the theaters, it was PG thirteen. Gotcha. Yeah. And then when the re release or the the 
the DVD version or the or the director's cut version, they have an R-rated version that has significantly more curses in it and much more bloodshed and stuff like that. It's just they cut all that stuff out because they wanted to get it to be a PG-13 movie. And yeah. everyone, everyone was a little bummed about that. Yeah, that F-bomb's going to do you in on that front. Mm-hmm. It's a shame to drop it for just that one thing, but it's like I said, it's so iconic to, uh, to him that you obviously can't do without it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's also this um, reporter character in the movie, and she is kind of like his girl Friday in a way. And, gotcha. and he kind of like leaks information to her and, and she's almost like she's annoying at parts, but also she plays a significant role at parts because she sort of gets the word out that the, the airport is under like, you know, a hostile takeover. And um, at first you don't like her. You think she's going to be a bad guy, but then she ends up being a good guy. But um, the one thing about this movie, and we'll talk about it more when we do the rewatch and we discuss it, the the cinematography for a lot of the movie is actually very, very good in comparison to what it could have been. But I was very surprised by that because Die Hard 1, I thought, is is beautifully shot and beautifully lit. But this movie is is does a good job. It's not as good as Die Hard 1, but it does look nice. Um, the other fun fact about this movie is in Die Hard with a Vengeance, John McTiernan comes back to direct that movie. And they literally act like this movie never happened. Oh, that's interesting. They basically say, "Oh, you you're that guy for the, you're that cop from that building." They never mention the airport at all in the whole movie. They pretend like it didn't exist. Just interesting. Pretty- I wonder if there was a little behind the scenes uh, shake up with the fact that somebody directed the second movie other than him, and maybe he was a little unhappy with that or something like that. They kind of had thrown a little shade in that way. I would would not be surprised. I would not be surprised if there's probably a reason for that that he didn't get the ability to direct the movie and he just said you know what i'm going to pretend it never happened all right well so that's fair so i wonder if that um changes the diehard canon in some way then (laughs) if if you have some true believers that feel like uh die harder was not uh necessarily as tacked in as the uh others in the series it's you know what it's it's better than the fifth one, yes. Um, I think it's also, in a, in certain senses, better than the fourth one, the one that you know of with Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. The, the fourth one has nice little things about it, but after, with Avengers, they stop feeling like diehard movies because the first three movies... He's still a flawed guy. He's still got problems. He, you know, he doesn't believe that he can actually win. And he's, oh, he, he's, he comes to these moments where he's like, he could lose. He's going to die, you know, or everyone else is going to die because he can't win. But once you get past the, the third one, it's basically he is invulnerable and yeah, he, nothing can go wrong. He'll always find a yeah. way out, and that makes yeah. I guess it transcends that like 
Yeah, it transcends that like underdog versus superhero sort of thing. Yeah, because right. I was going to even say, I don't even remember if I watched five because I think I saw the trailer and I was like, what the heck is going on? This is like, you know, it's it's funny enough. It's in a, in a way, because um, just jumping back to Vin Diesel and like what we were talking about before, it's kind of like um, where the Fast and the Furious movies start off and ultimately end up. Like even in the original Fast and the Furious movie, there's some stuff that's over the top. But overall, those movies, you know, the first like one or two or three kind of feel like grounded in reality versus the ones that you're seeing now where like they're like jumping off of buildings and like towing giant safes and running away from submarines. And it's like, you know, yeah. they've just gotten completely insane. And I think that's kind of um, where Die Hard, for better or worse, ultimately ended up kind of as well. It's, um, you know, the, the, the worst, you know, problem that I found with the fifth one in particular is. So the movie, the climax of the movie takes place in Chernobyl. And nobody's wearing any kind of like hazmat suits <laughs> of any sort. And they and at the end of the movie, they dive out of a building like 10 stories up into some pool with like toxic waste <laughs> water. And well, look, maybe... Maybe this is why there's no Die Hard Six. Maybe John McClane bit it. <laughs> he, he might have. It, it, he got some serious uh, radiation poisoning after yeah, that. Pretty much. So, so let me ask you because you you brought up kind of an interesting thing, and I'm curious now for you because you're such a Die Hard Die Hard fan. What is your ranking then? What what what's number one for you, and, and kind of where does it go from there? Okay, well, um, I honestly think Die Hard with a Vengeance is the best one. Number one. Uh, okay. mostly because you know us growing up in New York City it takes place all over New York City and being around those sites and seeing those things even though he gets to certain places so fast that if you've ever been to New York City <laughs> know it's impossible to go from yeah, you know the magical city teleportation yeah, effect <laughs> you, you go from you know 180th street to lower Manhattan, to Yankee Stadium, to yeah. to the Aqueduct. In it's really amazing <laughs> how many movies over time rely on the fact that people just have no clue where things are in <laughs> New York or L.A. or whatever. And people like they'll be like running and they like they're in Central Park, and next thing you know, they're like in like Battery Park, and it's like, how did they get there that fast? Yeah, you know, yeah. There's there's definitely a little bit of that magic teleportation stuff that happens in movies. That's very funny. So. As long as you suspend your disbelief on that part, it's a really well-crafted film, and the acting is great. Uh, Jeremy Irons is a terrific villain. Jeremy Irons is always fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter uh, what he's doing. Exactly. Um, I just remember that one being a lot of fun. It's yeah, a like, lot again, of fun. Again, it's, it's, it's not one where I remember terribly well the plot, outside of the fact that he's, like as you say, running around New York and solving puzzles and, and trying to stop this Simon says mm -hmm. hacker. Yes, yeah. Um, but uh, I just remember that one being a ton of fun. So I think actually I might even fall in that same um, feeling with you there for maybe being in the number one spot. It, it's it, I think it's the strongest of all the films. Then obviously Die Hard One is number two, just because it is an every man story. It's like if you were just a guy put in a situation where. You could save everybody, including your own spouse, and take down the bad guy. How would you do it? Could you survive? You know, it's it's a real man versus man, but also man versus himself. 
kind of film. Yeah. And again, like actually even just to loop back on what we were just discussing, like it goes from like that, like gritty moment where he has to step and walk on the glass and you're like, oh my God, I can totally, even if you've never walked on glass, which I think most people haven't, but you can relate to the fact that like he's going to do it, but you hate that he's going to do it. So like what yeah. you're saying that he's like jumping into like pools of like radiation in Chernobyl. What a departure. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. it sort of loses that like real world kind of bedrock quality that I think that that sort of has in it. Then when it comes to where I would go from there, Die Hard 2, Die Harder and Live Free or Die are very close in the sense that Live Free or Die Hard is more fun of a movie. And again, it takes place over the course of all over New York, like uh, Washington, D.C. and parts of Baltimore and like all over the place. Like he again, he like time travels. Um, <laughs> my biggest problem with that movie is throughout all the other movies, he always says that he's afraid of heights. But yet in this in the fourth movie, he gets his helicopter license and he can fly a helicopter. No problem. No problem at all. Interesting. <laughs> um, that kind of takes me out of it. And a few other times where he like blows up a building and he survives by just hiding in a, in a pickup truck. Um, the funny part, maybe John McClane's a little like me because I don't have a fear of heights, but I do have a fear of falling. I do have a fear. Which of I know sounds too. really redundant to say so. Um, but like, I have that like I can go in a helicopter. No problem. I've done umpteen helicopter tours. I actually kind of want to do one of these open door um, helicopter tours around the city to take Oof. some photos of the skyline, things like that. No way. That doesn't think. bother me. But if I'm standing on like a glass bridge, like because there's, like, there's some places in the city here that have like these like little glass bridges and things like that's making my whole spine crawl. So maybe him and I are, are feeling that sort of same thing, like even in like video games, like I'll jump off a cliff in a video game and like my stomach. <laughs> lurches into my chest so like i don't know like maybe there's something to that but um for whatever reason um me and and things that are up high don't necessarily uh, you know perfect example i went and did a um hot air balloon ride mm -hmm. so i was riding in a wicker basket attached to the world's largest flamethrower 800 feet in the air and i was happy as it could be yeah no, so i, would be, I, would <laughs> I don't be know I, it must just be if i feel like sturdy in the location <laughs> so i i have this fear in new york city of going close to windows that are full panes of glass from from floor oh, to ceiling yes. i'm afraid if i lean against it that glass is gonna fall out and i'm gonna fall out with it like it totally me. no um pre 9 11 uh, a couple months and you and i've talked about this but beforehand um my high school class had done a class trip to the twin towers and like everybody was like leaning against the glass and i'm like no thanks <laughs> i stood over in the the back of the room like i did not want to be leaning on that glass so yeah there's definitely like some weird spot where my body and mind start rejecting mm -hmm. heights so yeah maybe uh maybe he's got a little bit of that or maybe just through a couple of movies and dealing with stuff like hanging off of nakatomi plaza and the like he just <laughs> uh got over a little bit of it <laughs> well he he says he says in in live for your die hard he goes you know I had a bit of a fear of heights, so I decided to get my helicopter license to try to get over it. And it's like, there you go. It, but it's a throwaway line, but it's a little bit of exposition, which is, you know, it's, a little bit of off-screen character building. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those, you know, I as a filmmaker, I prefer like the show me, don't tell me kind of angle. But there's a lot of things that even in this movie in in Die Hard Two, where he just 
blatantly tells the audience in in lines of dialogue as opposed to show us and let us figure it out with him which is a little bit annoying but it's fine it's it's a silly movie but um this movie and and four are very close i probably have to give this as a as a better film overall because he's still playing the every man like am i gonna be able to do this am i gonna be able to save my wife am i gonna die doing this Whereas in four, he's Superman and he can't be killed. And then the fifth one, I I actually think that's like it's it's more of a born identity film than it is a diehard film. And I think it's actually it came out near around the time of like born ultimatum. And so that's why I think it's, it's told in that kind of a style. Interesting. All right, Michael. So because you're a uh, huge diehard guy, I thought we'd have a little fun. I've got a quiz here for you. I want to test your knowledge a little bit. Um, so it's a 20 question quiz, um, but they're all multiple hmm. choice. I think you're you're probably going to find some of these to be very easy, but some of them might catch you a little off guard. So I'll, I'll run you through each question. I'll give you the, the choices and we'll see uh, where you end up at the end. All right. OK, I'm ready. OK, so number one, what does John McClane do for a living? Police detective, primary school teacher, FBI agent, or doctor? Police detective. Actually, he's a lieutenant, but detective is fine also. <laughs> and by the way, I should mention, this is coming off a, uh, a article on The Guardian that I happened to find. So I'm not just pulling these uh, quiz questions out of nowhere. Um, so number two, and I probably don't even need to give you the uh, uh, lead in on this one, the extra choices. But what is John McClane's catchphrase? Yippee-ki-yay, mother... <laughs> All right, we'll put that one in. Who was the villain in Die Hard 4.0? John uh, Gruber, Colonel Stewart, Thomas Gabriel, or Simon Patrikas? Thomas Gabriel. All right. Wait. Um, yes. Thomas, yeah. Okay. Thomas Gabriel, <laughs> Some of these you might even be able to answer without the answer. So if, if it pops under your head, feel free to just call it out. What was Samuel L. Jackson's Die Hard character called? Zeus. Zeus. All right. All right. You know what? You're doing good. I'm going to let you um, answer these. And if you if you need the answers, let me know and I'll give you the answers. This one's an easy one. Name the building in the first Die Hard took place in. Nakatomi Plaza. All right. Name the chauffeur sent to pick up John McClane and Die Hard. Argyle. Die Hard 4.0 takes place on which day? New Year's Day, John McClane's birthday, Thanksgiving, or Independence Day? Independence Day. All right. How is hacker Frederick Claudus, or Caludus better known? Oh. Not the is... options? Yes, yes. <laughs> Warlock, Wizard, Weasel, Warlock. Walker. All right. Where is Die Hard with a Vengeance set? San Diego, Moscow, New London, or New York? New York City. All right. Die Hard 2, our, our movie of the month, takes place how long after Die Hard? Six months, one year, ten years, five years? One year. I guess that would pair in with the uh, Christmas Eve aspect. <laughs> uh, in Die Hard, how does John McClane get the attention of Sergeant Al Powell? By uh, calling over the, the police scanner that the building is on fire. And he gets, they send a dispatcher out. And then when Al Powell's about to leave, McLean throws 
uh, one of the terrorists out of a building and lands on the top of Powell's car. So that's a long way of saying drops a body on his car. Yes, drops a body. (laughs) That's the answer we'll take. All right. Um, Who was the villain in Die Hard with a Vengeance? Simon Patrikas, Thomas Gabriel, Simon Gruber, Colonel Stewart. Simon Gruber. Now, I want to question that one before we go on, because are they messing with us with Hans Gruber? It's Hans Gruber's brother. Related to him? Oh, got it. Okay. Uh, who played the villain in Die Hard with a Vengeance? Sir Anthony Hopkins, Colin Firth, Hugh Grant, or Jeremy Irons? Jeremy Irons. Yes, we hit that one, didn't we? We did. Um, in which year was Die Hard released? 1994, 92, 1990, 1988. Obviously, given this was 25 years ago, and that is going to be the um, version of this article because the article was celebrating that it was from 25 years ago in 2003. 88. <laughs> Die Hard came out in 88. Yeah, and obviously we're here in 1990, so that one was a a cheat out for us. Okay. (laughs) Um, Die Hard 2 takes place in an airport close to which city? Washington, D.C. All right. The first Die Hard movie takes place on which day? Christmas Eve. Okay. We're getting there. We're at number 17. Which game did Simon Gruber... (laughs) They gave away the answer from the other one. Which game did uh, Simon Gruber want to play in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance? Simon Says. What is the name of John McClane's wife? Holly Gennaro. All right. Last two. Who heads up the terrorists in Die Hard 2? Let's see if I can jumpstart you. Colonel Mustard, Colonel Simon, Colonel Saunders, or Colonel Stewart? Stewart. And finally, what is the name of John McClane's daughter? Lucy McClane. All right. Drum roll, please. Okay, uh, we ended up with, what do you think you got? 20 out of 20. 20 out of 20 it is, sir. 2020 score for the year 2020. Perfect score. (laughs) If we were awarding prizes for this, we'd send you a copy of Hostage Terrorist, Terrorist Hostage, A Study in Duality. (laughs) Very nice, sir. Excellent job. Now, a little fun fact. I know that you were a Genesis guy, but were you a PlayStation person? I was, yes. Uh, when the next console generation came along, I did get the PlayStation 1. So I was a PlayStation per- person. I wasn't an N64 person. So when Nintendo had the GoldenEye game, PlayStation had a Die Hard game. And, <laughs> and Die Hard, it was a Die Hard trilogy. And game one was Die Hard 1 in Nakatomi Tower. Game two was in the airport. And game three was in New York City. And each game had a different style. The first one, you were, you know, third person going, you know, taking McLean through the building to try to rescue everybody. I can tell you, I never got through like the third level because you basically had to work from the basement all the way up to the top floor. And I never got all the way there. Interesting. Yeah, I'm having a hard time remembering if I ever played that one. It sounds vaguely familiar, but I might have missed that. I mean, I didn't own it for sure. It wasn't a super popular game. But um, the second... I do remember playing Goldeneye. (laughs) When you you played Die Hard 2, it was a first-person shooter. And it was played very similarly to Goldeneye, 
it was almost the same type of game basically, but it's built into this other thing and you go through the airport and you shoot everybody up. And I actually bought like a, a PlayStation gun for it and had little grenade launchers on it. And it was, the, it was built for this particular Die Hard game. And then Die Hard 3 was cars and you would steal cars. You would drive a dump truck, a, a, a taxi cab, a police car, uh, all kinds of different things. And you're driving through New York City doing missions in these cars. It was like Grand, like Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like Grand Theft Auto meets Crazy Taxi or something, because yes. those were both around then. <laughs> yeah. So, and That's it, pretty funny. It, it was a really fun game. I never beat any of the three Die Hard games, because it all built into one. But it was just fun to jump around and play each one of them. You don't still uh, have it around, do you? Kicking around? I don't know. If I do, it's... I don't even know if my PlayStation's around anymore. Who knows? I could probably find it on eBay, Yeah, if you dig it up, I think at a point, PlayStation 3 and maybe 4 and onwards um, did get backwards compatibility with some of the old PlayStation 1 games. It'd be funny to see if you could... uh, jump that in there and, and pick it up and run with it again <laughs> i'd love to find it on an emulator and see if i could download it too that'd be kind you of know cool. the problem with all those games from that time period is like you you have these fond memories of them and then you go back and play them like i had this with twisted metal and i went back a couple of years ago and tried to play it and it's like unplayable it's unplayable yeah <laughs> like the graphics are just so bad and you're just like oh my god i can't even see what i'm doing yeah you should you should like go on youtube and just watch the Die Hard trilogy gameplay it's pretty funny and it's it's not what you would imagine the game would look like and it's very 90s style it's pretty funny but i'll have to look that one up all right so from here on out i think we're going to go rewatch die hard 2 die harder and we will be back with our official review Hey there, movie fans. Pete here. Well, this is normally where we would have the review section, but it's not here. What happened? Well, we've decided to actually change Box Office 30's podcast format. Michael and I had so much great movie discussion and content this time that we realized we really should actually reformat our podcast. So in conjunction with the Retro Network, we've decided we're actually going to start splitting Box Office 30 into two distinct episodes. On alternating Fridays, opposite of Sequel Quest, we're going to go ahead with having one episode where we do our normal intro section, our box office 30, our total recall section, or any new sections that we are coming up with over time. And then in a completely separate podcast, we're going to do the dedicated review of whichever movie is the biggest box office hit that month. We think this is a great way to deliver you not only extra content, but to deliver it in a more consistent schedule and without podcasts that are looking like three hours long, because, you know, how much fun those are. So look forward to our new podcast format as we go forward. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time. Hey, officer! Hey, come on! Come on! Hey, hey! Hey, hop on in there! Get your messages in! What do you say, Mark? Presentation.
station of the Retro Network.